talk with you today about on kind of a threefold subject. I want to talk to you about pride, humility, and grace. And uh, all of them are things that we deal with. But humility, you know, you have all kinds of different definitions of what humility really is. It can be to be teachable. You know, um, it's not talking about weakness. You know, the Bible talks about Moses, that Moses was the meekest of men, and that would be humility. And uh, obviously, uh, Moses wasn't very Weak. He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was basically their pastor, and he pastored over a million people, so I don't think the dude is very weak. And, uh, but humility is what allows the grace of God to flow in our lives. Because oftentimes, you know, we have a difficult time with humility um, because we want to we depend upon ourselves. We want to do it. And really what that is is, is, is pride. It's, it's being unwilling to yield to, submit to the Lordship of Jesus and realize that he's, he's done it all, that it's not dependent upon me. It's, it's dependent upon him. And, uh, and so... Pride, pride is probably the biggest thing that can hinder us, that can keep us from experiencing the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is unmerited. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn or deserve it. It's, it's available to us. But you know, through pride, we can block it. Through pride, we can say, you know, I don't believe that that what Jesus did for me was enough. And therefore, there's something that I have to do. There's something that I have to add to it. And really, that's pride. That's saying that we know better than, than he knows. And that pride will, will, will block that grace from being able to truly manifest in our life as he, he desires it to. You know, <clears throat> it's interesting. The world, but, but not just simp the wor simply the world, um, religion is probably the biggest hindrance to us receiving what Jesus has made available to us. Remember what I've told you in the past, uh, the definition of religion. Christianity, um, in its truly truest definition, is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. Religion, in its true definition, is man's attempt to get right with God. And so that's the blocking point. That's what blocks the grace of God from being able to be manifest in our life is that we think we're going to do something. We think it's up to us rather than putting our reliance completely upon Jesus. You know, religious people, are the hardest people to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason that religious people are hard to reach with the gospel is because they're so convinced in what they have to do. And it's difficult for us to, for a, for a religious person to just simply humble themselves and say, Father, I know that it's not me, it's you. And so I put my trust, I put my, my confidence completely in you. You know, I'm sure <clears throat> many of you anyway, uh, you know, there used to be an evangelistic program that was out there, was known as, um, well, it was the Kennedy approach. But uh, it, had, it had two questions that you would ask somebody. And the, the first question was, if you were to die tonight, are you confident that you'd go to heaven? 
You know, and most people, their response would be, well, I sure hope so. <laughs> Amen. That was, that was my response. I sure hope so. But then the, the second question is, if you were to die tonight, and if you were to stand before God, and he would say, why should I allow you into my heaven, what would your answer be? Well, for me, my answer would have been, well, I was better than my brother. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> you know, but it was, the, the answer was about me. But see, there's only one answer that counts. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was resurrected from the dead for my justification. And the thing about it is, is that's a very humbling thing. And that's why humility is so important. Because not only that, as, as believers, as born-again, spirit-filled believers, if we don't walk in humility, what'll happen is we'll block the abundance of graces of God from being manifested in our life because we'll be convinced there's something that I need to do rather than put our trust completely in Him. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Psalms, the 10th chapter. It'll be up on the overhead as well. But Psalms, the 10th chapter in the second verse, it says, the wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked is proud. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. See, that's why humility is so important because what pride does is it it gets our focus completely on self. Pride brings us to the place of self-centeredness rather than being God-centered in our life. We, we seek on our own. We don't seek God, but we seek on our own. We, we, we seek what we're able to do rather than look to Almighty God. In Proverbs the 11th chapter. Proverbs, the 11th chapter. The second verse says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. With pride comes shame. That doesn't, doesn't seem to make any sense because you would think a prideful person wouldn't have any shame in their life. Remember, we've talked about in the past how, how, how shame is one of those things that will, will block us from uh, really believing that God wants to bless us because we'll have such a negative image of ourselves. But, but the reason it says here, when pride comes, then comes shame. The problem with pride is pride focuses on self. And so what happens is we see all of our failures. We see all of our shortcomings. I don't know about you. My biggest problem is me. It's not somebody else. It's not the world. It's not the circumstances around. My biggest, my biggest problem is me. If I can deal with me, everything's hunky-dory. But my problem is me. And so that's what it says here. See, what pride does is pride focuses on self. And so every time we mess up, we're focusing on self. Now, when we focus on God, there's no shame because when we mess up, we know that God has covered that. He's taken care of that through his precious blood. And through his blood, he's not only washed away our sin, but he's He's cleansed us from all the defilement of sin. He's cleansed us from shame. He's cleansed us from guilt. 
But see, what happens is when we begin to look at self, we once again not only focus on our failings, I mean our successes, we begin to focus on our failings. And so then we begin to walk around with shame. You know, there, there's people that have things that have happened in their lives 40, 50 years ago. And they're still living, not just remembering it, they're still living in the shame of it. And the reason that they're doing that is because they focus on themselves. They're not focusing on what Jesus has already done, what Jesus has already accomplished for them. You know, if there's any people on this earth that ought to be, feel good about themselves, it ought to be Christians. Because we're not focusing on what we've done, we're focusing on what Jesus has already done for me. And so we begin to walk in the victory. With, when pride comes, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. What's that mean, with humble is wisdom? Well, it means we're teachable. We hear the Word of God. You know, when we approach the Word of God, we have to approach it with humility. We've got to approach it from the standpoint, you know what, I don't know it all. And you know what, God does. And so when I, when I approach the Word of God, where wisdom comes in, is when I look at it and I see, well, this is what the Word of God says. My circumstances may not line up with this, but this is what the Word says. Therefore, I am going to believe the Word of God over the circumstances in my life. Because oftentimes what we try to do is we try to get the Word of God to line up with the circumstances that we encounter in life. But what it's to be is it's to be the other way around. Our circumstances are to line up with what the Word of God says. And so what's, what's our focus? Let's turn to 1 Peter. Everybody says, thank God we're getting into the New Testament now. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, the fifth verse. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. And all the elders say, praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah. Yes, all of you. Whoops. There it goes on. It doesn't stop there. It says, yes, all of you submit to one another and be clothed with humility. What does that mean to be clothed with humility? Well, if we're to be able to submit to one another, that means that we're going to have to walk in humility in our life. For God, listen to this, for God resists the proud. I don't know about you, I don't want God to resist me. I want my prayers to be answered. I want, I want when I approach God that I can approach Him with confidence knowing that He hears my prayers, that He's going to answer my prayers. He said God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Resist the proud, gives grace to the humble. Again, grace unmerited favor. It means there's absolutely nothing that I've done to earn or to deserve it. But he says that if I'm humble, if I'll recognize my dependency completely upon Jesus, he says I'm going to experience his grace in my life. And of course when he's talking about grace here, he's not talking about simply going to heaven when we die because I think oftentimes when we, our definition of of grace is so limited, we, we look at it from the standpoint of by grace we are saved through faith, and so uh, when we die, we get to go to heaven. But His grace is manifest in our life right here and now, in this life. There's, there's the grace for healing, there's a grace for deliverance, there's a grace for abundance, there's a grace to be free, there's a grace to be able to love one another. How many of you have run into that person? The only way you can love them is by grace but that's through God. That's not in our own strength and our own ability. And so then he says, 
Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know, you, you, religiously speaking, we hear all the time where people are talking about, well, you know, God really humbled me. You know, it's never been his will, his plan to humble you. His plan has always been to exalt you. He says, if we'll humble ourselves, what does that mean? That means recognize that I have a need for Jesus in my life. That I can't function in my everyday life without him in my life. And so I humble myself before him. His word says such and such. I humble myself before that word. And I say, Father, you're right, I'm wrong. You know, the Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And of course, that's talking about things that he's called us to do. But you know, when he called me to preach, I said, I can't do that. His word says you can do all things. I had to humble myself to that word and say, Father, because you said I can do it, therefore I can do it. That was, you know, so here we've been, you've, you've, you've had the great privilege of listening to me for the last 35 years. But see, we've got to humble ourselves. And you know, it doesn't matter what your vocation is. We humble ourselves before Almighty God because God will make us the best farmer, the best uh, business person, whatever construction worker, whatever it may be. God will make us far, far better in our field than we ever could be without him. But you know what? We've got to humble ourselves and say, Father, I'm dependent upon you. And he says that when he'll do that, he will exalt us. So God's plan for you has always been for you to be exalted. But oftentimes what we do is we try to exalt ourselves. We try to promote ourselves rather than allowing him to exalt us. Now, I'm not going to be too critical because it's just a kid. But I was so ticked off yesterday. You know, and I, I, and I, I Lord forgive me. But in the Iowa State game, we score a touchdown. And the kid has to celebrate. And so he get a 15-yard penalty, and so they get field position. I mean, they blamed everything on the calling of the coaches, which wasn't the smartest thing in the world either. But, but the ultimate thing was stupidity. What did he do? He exalted himself. Now, I'm not saying God did it, but the result of his actions humbled the entire team. You know, one of the things we've got to find out is our actions go beyond self. When we try to exalt ourselves, when we walk in pride, it just doesn't affect us. It affects everybody around us. There comes this point in our life that we need to recognize, I need to humble myself. I need to, I need to submit myself to the will of God, not just simply so that I can be blessed, not just simply so that I can be exalted, but so that those around me can be blessed as well. Because it happens. You know, <clears throat> The Bible says that we're to be able to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. But you know what? If I'm unwilling to humble myself, I won't be able to do that. If I don't humble myself, those that are rejoicing, I'll be jealous of them. And those that are weeping, I'll judge them. But when I humble myself before the hand of Almighty God, I can rejoice with those that rejoice and I can weep with those that weep. And you know what? God says, in due time, I'll exalt you. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that you may be exalted in due time, casting all your cares upon him. And you see, that's the thing about humility. What we're able to do is we're, we're able to be carefree. You look at the world we live in and it's so caught up in cares. It has so many worries. There's so many things that are pulling it down but it's because they're looking at self rather than looking 
at Almighty God. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, the fourth verse, it says, it says, you have become estranged from Christ. You know, I, I believe that we can be born again and still be estranged from Christ. What does that mean? That means we're not sensitive any longer. That means we're so caught up in self, we're not, we're not sensitive to him any longer. And the problem with not being sensitive to him is we don't hear his voice. We don't hear his direction. We don't, we don't hear what he's trying to speak to us. And so he says to them, you have been estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, for you've fallen from grace. What he's saying is, what you've done is you've reverted back to putting your trust, putting your confidence completely in Jesus. Yesterday, as I don't know, somebody put it on, on Facebook, but it was an old uh, meeting that Brother Kenneth Hagin was doing. And, and uh, it was... Uh, the Holy Ghost was meeting. People were dancing and, and running and everything else. And, but but we, we, don't, we don't do that because, you know, we're, we're acceptable now. You know, and so, you know, we, we don't want to, we don't want, really what we don't want is we don't want to embarrass ourselves. You know, we, we say we don't want to offend anybody. But the truth of the matter is, is, is we don't want to uh, embarrass ourselves. And so we, we, we back off, and I'm not saying we're supposed to run and dance and all that in church, although there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You know, but what I'm saying is, what we've got to guard ourselves against is, is, is backing off from that position of, of truly trusting and believing in the Word of God. God hasn't changed. We change. But God doesn't change. God is still healer today. So if you need healing in your body, he's still the healer today. He's still the deliverer today. If you need deliverance in your life, he's still the one that will deliver you today. If you have financial needs in your life, he's still the provider today. His word says, I desire for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. And it's basically saying that we've got to know what Jesus has provided for us. But if we don't know that, if we don't stay familiar with that, what happens is we begin to back off from it. And when we back off from it, it's not that we've lost our salvation or anything like that, but we've become estranged. In other words, we don't hear his voice as we once did. We don't we don't, we're not quick to respond as we once did. We need to be quick to respond. We need to believe what he says and stand upon it. Basically what it's saying is he doesn't have the effect that he wants to have in every area of our life. I want... God, I want Jesus to have an effect upon every single area of my life. You know, a lot of the things we look at, we, we, we take it and we separate the spiritual from the secular. And we don't want the two to overlap with one another. But you know, as, Christ, as Christians, Christ affects every area of our life. There is no separation. It's all one. In um, Jeremiah, it'll be up on the board. I know that's one of those books your Bible probably doesn't just fall open to. But in Jeremiah 10, verse 23, it says this. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in him to walk, uh, who walks 
to direct his own steps. And then let's drop down to, um, was that verse 23? Okay. Well, let me read it again. O oh Lord, I know the way of man, of man is not in himself. In other words, if we're going to follow him, it's, it's, it's not in ourselves. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We need him to direct their steps. And the thing about it is, is he wants to. But see, what happens with pride is, pride says, I, I can handle it. I can do it. And I don't know about you, I, I've gotten myself in so much trouble thinking, I can do it all by myself. I can handle it myself. You know, you, the old saying, well, let's pray about it. Oh, it's come to that. Well, we ought to be so in tune with God that every step we take, um, we're able to hear his voice. And he's able to be exalted in our lives. In Philippians, the second chapter, in the third verse, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit. And of course, you know what religion has done. Religion takes a passage like this and it takes it to the extreme and it says, well, you see, God doesn't want you to, to prosper. God doesn't want you to be blessed. No, that, that's not what it's saying at all. He's saying, do nothing out of, out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, he's saying, it's not that we're not supposed to be blessed. It's not that we're not supposed to prosper. It's not that we're not supposed to advance in life. But he says, don't esteem yourself more important than everybody else. Look to others and, 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 and realize that our life is to be a, a blessing to others. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Put others in front of yourself. That's what it's saying. It's not saying that you got to go out and live in poverty and, 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 and not ever achieve anything in life and that if you have a, a goal, a dream, a vision that you, uh, you want to achieve, that you believe that it's been birthed out of the heart of God and you want to accomplish it, well, I just got to give that up. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying, don't do what you do in life at the expense of everybody else. Think of others. God wants to bless you above and beyond whatever, whatever you could ever think, dream, or imagine. That's how much God wants to bless you. And he doesn't have to bless you at the expense of somebody else. You see, when we're relying upon self, we see somebody else pull up in the parking lot with a new car. And we think, oh, why do they always get the new car? I need a new car. Why doesn't God bless me with a new car? Because of your stinking attitude. <laughs> but you see, when you can rejoice with those that rejoice, you begin to place yourself in a position where God can truly bless you. But like I said before, oftentimes we, we close the door on the blessings of God because we depend upon self rather than put our trust and put our confidence in him. You know, back in, in 2 Samuel, it's talking about King Saul and how God took him, this lowly individual, and he placed him in position of the king of the kingdom. And he was, he was blessed in in what he did. But as we read through this portion of Scripture, I want you to see something that when the prophet came to Saul, prophet Samuel came to Saul, he said to him, 
He said, you know, when you were small in your own eyes, he said, I was able to use you because you were small in your own eyes. The problem is, is we get, we get big in our own estimation. We begin to see ourselves as being big or more important than we really are and, 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 and we begin to get the idea, I can handle it all myself and we stop depending upon him. And that's what, that's what Saul did. When he trusted in God, the blessings were there in his life. But you know, when he began to trust himself and, and do it his way, all at once, he no, longer began to, he no longer experienced the blessing. And in fact, what happened was he, he eventually lost the kingdom. But let's look at 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. And I'm going to begin in verse 1. And we hear what leads up to it and what happened. It says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over this people over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. And so he's already been anointed king and he says, God sent me to anoint you to be king. But he says, now don't forget to listen to the words of the Lord. You know, oftentimes we get born again. We get baptized in the Holy Ghost. And we begin to think we've got it all. Let me tell you something. That's not the end. That's the beginning. We've just, we've just started our walk at that point. You know, and that's why it's so important after we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior that, that we continue in the Word of God, that we continue to position ourselves so that we're able to hear teaching and that we can grow in the things of God because if we don't, you know, there, there's the old saying, it's a worldly saying, but there's, you know, don't use it, you lose it. But you know, with our spiritual walk, I see it with people. They don't use what God has placed in their life. And what happens is they begin to back off from it. They don't continue to walk. They don't grow. But not only do they not grow, they don't continue in the things that God has already placed in their life. We need to continue in the things that God's placed in our life. And so Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over this people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amalekite for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from, from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalekite and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, cattle, donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and tell them to uh, 100,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amlon and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to Kittites, Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed uh, from among the Amalekites. Why can't they come up with some easier names? And Saul attacked the Amalekites. And, the, and for Hivai, all the way to Shur, which is the east of Egypt. And also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul, if I say, but Saul. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and the ox, and the fatling, and the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, 
that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Camrel, and indeed he set up a monument to himself. Notice this about Saul. First God had told him, you destroy everything. Now the tradition was that when you would conquer a kingdom, you would take all the good goods, the livestock, uh, the gold, the silver, anything of any true value, you would take that and that would be your, your bounty. That's what you would take. But remember, he, he told him to destroy everything and he told him to kill the king, Agag. But notice they took Agag prisoner. And so he went to Saul. And, and, and if that isn't enough, after he wins the, the victory, Saul builds a monument to himself. What's he doing? He's saying, see how great I am. See how wonderful I am. See what I've been able to achieve. But the thing about it is, if we follow the life of Saul, we see that his victories were because God granted him the victory. Because God was on his side. But see what pride does. Pride brings you to the point where you say, well, I don't, I don't need God anymore. I can... I can handle it myself. You know, whatever, whatever your vocation is, you, you, you can learn how to do it. You know, preaching, you can, you can learn how to preach. Anybody can learn how to preach. And so what can happen is you can get to the place in your life as a preacher you wonder, what, what's happened to these, these preachers that fall by the wayside? You hear about these ministries that, that, that get into sin or whatever it may be. This is exactly what happened, what happened to Saul. They were called into the ministry. Many of them were called into the ministry. They experienced success. But they had success because they depended, they depended upon God but they began to see themselves big in their own eyes. They began to see themselves as being successful within themselves. And so as a result of that, they no longer trust in God, and when they no longer trust in God, they begin to move away from God. They begin to trust in self. Many of you have heard me share the story how when, we were going, when I was in Bible school, I worked for this plumber in in Arnold, Missouri, and uh, Christmas time came along, and, and, and John was just a, John was a practicing heathen, and uh, I think he, I think he swore for my benefit, because he knew I was in Bible school, you know, but he was, he was just, he was just, uh, he was John, and so I, I worked for him, and, and, uh, Christmas time came along, and, and so he showed up at the shop, and his wife took care of the bookkeeping, and so uh, she said, he, he said to his wife, he says, I want you to go downstairs, and I want you to write each of the guys out a check, and he says, I don't know how much you have to withdraw, but I want them to take home this much, and so she went down and did that, and then he gave us cookies, and and all kinds of good stuff, and we got in the truck, and we're going to the job. And we're driving along, and, and, and the guy that, you know, I'd only worked for John about six months, and the other guy had worked for him for a couple of years, and he says, I, I just don't understand this. He says, John has never done this before. I mean, he's given us cookies before, but he's never given us a bonus, and he's, he, he's never, because he's going to take us to this uh, 
um, theater, you know, dinner theater thing. Never done anything like that. And he said, I don't understand what's gotten into him. And I says, well, have you ever heard of the blessings of Abraham? And he says, no, but I think I just heard of the blessings of Schroeder. <laughs> and I, I thought about that, and I, you know, at first I, I wanted to correct him, and I thought, no, no, I kind of like that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's a blessing on you. Because you're a child of God. But the problem is, is we move away from that because we get confident in ourselves. And again, I don't care what your vocation is. And you may have done it for years and years and years. You've got it down pat. But you continue to put your trust and confidence in God because He's the one that causes the increase. You know, I, I, I'm, I hated plumbing. No offense if you're a plumber, but I hated plumbing at the end. I just, I mean, I spent so many years looking for a way out. You know, but, but I'm working for John, and it seems like I'm getting all the cruddy jobs. I had another word, but I didn't think it would be appropriate in church. But I got all the, the cruddy jobs. One day John says to me, he says, he says, you know, I want you to understand something. He said, it isn't, I don't give you those jobs because I don't like you, I don't appreciate you. I give you those jobs because I know that you'll get it done. And you see, that's because of the one that lives on the inside of me. I'm not, whatever your vocation is, you're not there to serve you. You're there to serve God. And when you have the attitude, I'm here to serve God, you're going to do the very best that you possibly can, and without even trying, you're going to experience advancement in your life because God causes increase. And so we put our trust and our confidence completely in Him. That has nothing to do with my message, but sure sounded good. And so here's, here we have Saul, and he's, uh, he's, he's taken the king prisoner, He's taken um, some of the good of the land. And then we get down to verse 10. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not, uh, not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out all, all night, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Saul, saying, Saul went to Camel, and indeed he set up a monument to himself. And he has gone all around, uh, passed by, and gone down to Gilgab. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done it all. I've done it all. See, that's what religion will do to you. What religion does, it gives us this prideful attitude, I've done it. Well, you've not done it all. And if you're going to do it, you've got to do it all. But he's not done it all. He did what felt good to him. You know what happens to us? We do what feel, feels good to us rather than following after him and doing his will completely. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, and this is where I wanted to get to, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I heard? And Saul said, <clears throat> they have brought, they, 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 the age, oh, answer to everything, blame somebody else. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best sheep and the ox to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. 
Well, he tried to make it sound good, but it didn't sound very good because even that wasn't totally true. And Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak on. When you were little in your old eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? When you were little in your own eyes. When we were little, what, re what re was required of us to be born again? We were small in our own eyes. We recognized, I cannot save myself. I need a savior. That's where we were. But you know, the danger is, is when we move from that and we begin to trust in self. In Micah 6, 8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk in humility with the Lord. That's Micah 6, 8. What's required of us? That we walk in humility. This morning, we're having a celebration. We have individuals that are going to be baptized, and as they are, we're going to, as a congregation, celebrate with them. But listen to this scripture passage, and those of you that are in the room that uh, want to go get changed for baptism, you can go ahead and, and, and do that now. Um, but in Acts, the second chapter, the 36th verse, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord your God will call. And with many other words he testified and exalted them, exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly receive this word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 were saved. And so, water baptism, why? Why water baptism? Well, first of all, is because the Bible says so. And believe it or not, we don't need any other excuse, any other reason to have baptism other than the fact that the Bible says that they ought to. This scripture that I read, I read, came from Acts, the second chapter. It's talking about on the day of Pentecost and those that were saved. And, and they heard that word being spoken. They said, what, was, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent, turn your life from the world and turn to Jesus and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, I think oftentimes what, what hinders us from being obedient is pride. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? How is it, it going to look? You know, because I think sometimes, you know, maybe we've been in church our whole life and 
Oh, once we realize, you know what, I've, I wonder if I should be baptized. Well, let me share with you my experience. I was raised in a denominational church that we, we baptized infants. And so I was sprinkled as a child. We were part of that church, so our, our children were, uh, were baptized as, as infants. But then I, I get saved. I get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I begin to serve God, and, and, uh, but you know what? I've, I've been baptized, and so I wasn't baptized. And so as time goes along, I begin to, as I'm studying the Word, I begin to be convinced that baptism is to be after conversion. And so according to that process, I'd never been baptized. And so I went to Bible school, studied the Word, started a church up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, served that church for two years, and come back to Jefferson. And here we are. We're about ready to have our first water baptism since I've come back to the church. So here I am. I'm a husband. I have four children. And I'm pastoring the church. And I'm thinking, I need to be baptized. But what are people going to think? I'm the pastor. How can the pastor be baptized? But I realized it was a, it was a humbling thing. But I realized it's not about how it appears to everybody else. It's not about the circumstances surrounding it. It's about what does the Word of God say? And so, in this little pond south of town, myself, my wife, and my four children were all baptized on the same day. We'd all been sprinkled. Now, I'm not coming against that. But what I'm telling you is, in my study of the Word of God, that's the conclusion that I've come to. And so that's how it was with baptism. But how is it in every other area of your life as well? You know, the Bible says that the traditions of man causes the word to be ineffective. If I had gone with the tradition of man, that word would have been ineffective in my life and I wouldn't have been baptized. If I go with the traditions of man in many churches, the tradition is that God doesn't heal today. That many of these things, God doesn't do it anymore. And so what that tradition will do, it'll keep you from accepting what the Word of God says. Smith Wigglesworth said, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. And that's how it needs to be in our lives. We need to believe what the Word of God says. We need to say that's forever settled because the Word does not change. I believe it, therefore I'm going to act upon it in Jesus' name. And so uh, we're going to have baptism this morning. And so I'm going to go back into the back room um, for the baptism, I, I think the kids are going to be coming in. Uh, feel free to move around so that you can uh, see and experience um, the baptism and uh, be right with you. Don't go anyplace. Hey, we're, we're ready. And again, just feel free to move around. Um, Father, we just ask you to bless this time as we have these baptisms. We thank you for these individuals that have chosen to give their life to you. And that today as we experience baptism, that 
they demonstrate to everyone with boldness and confidence what you've done for them in their life. And so, Father, we just ask your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. This is not a replay. <laughs> Have you received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Julie, you want to come? Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. You want to go? Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the precious name of Jesus. Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes, sir. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Okay. Come on. Okay. Come on, buddy. Can be a little slick, so take your time. Okay. Oh, go down a little further. <laughs> okay, there you go. Sit down. There we go. Sit on the bench. There we go. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Ooh. Okay. It's a little slick. Okay. And you see Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yep. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Okay, come on, buddy. 
you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, come up this way. Jesus as your Lord and yes. Savior. And I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So is that everybody? So there we go. Praise the Lord. They'll, they'll come around to the hall so you can greet them and congratulate them. But Father, we just thank you for your loving kindness and goodness. We thank you, Father, for your blessings upon our life. We thank you for these that have been baptized and the little baby that was dedicated this morning. And Father, we just pray that you would continue to guide and direct them all the days of their life. Father, may your will be done in all areas of their life. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, be excused in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Give one another a hug. Let them know you love them. In Jesus' name, be blessed.